I used to never start my sermons by saying good morning, but I just love hearing you guys say back to me good morning. So every time I just love doing it. Good morning. It's so good. So, well, please open your Bibles to 3 John, and we're going to be studying this wonderful book. It is the second to last book in the Bible, just before Revelation. In my Bible, it's only one page long, uh, and today we are going to be finishing uh, the epistles of John. We've been going through uh, 1 John. We spent some weeks there, and then we spent a week in 2 John, and now we're covering 3 John. So 15 verses ahead of us that contain wonderful truth for us to glean from today. And uh, we know that the Apostle John wrote five of the books of the New Testament. And we have his gospel, which is a fan favorite, isn't it? Uh, It's because it highlights to us the deity of Jesus. I love the gospel of John. We then have his three epistles, which we've been studying together on Sundays. And then, of course, we have the book of Revelation, which is a book that reveals the person and the work of Jesus and its plan for the ages. And uh, you might be wondering, okay, well, we've studied, you know, first, second, third, John. What are we going to be doing next? We are going to be studying first Peter starting next Sunday. So get ready for that. I'm excited about that. But without any more introduction, let's get right into the text and see what God has for us today. So we're going to simply take third John one verse at a time. Make sure you're at 3 John, not John chapter 3 or 1 John 3 or anything like that. So um, it says this. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And so right there in the beginning of this letter, we see who the letter is from and who the letter is to. And the way that letters were written back in this time in the ancient world was that they would put the greeting of the letter at the beginning rather than at the end of the letter. You know, it's interesting how we write letters today. We put the greeting at the end, which doesn't really make much practical sense, does it? You know, you read the letter and you don't know who it's from until you get to the very end. And so letters at this time were written in the way where you knew right from the start who was writing the letter. And so we see right there that it was from the elder. Now, we don't actually see the name John mentioned anywhere throughout this letter. So John is referring to himself as the elder, a word that... Um, speaks of his office as a spiritual leader in the church, one who has oversight of the church and who teaches the word of God. That is what an elder does. And we know that the letter was written by John, even though it doesn't actually say this, his name, just simply because of the style that we see throughout it. You know, you can read something and you know that it's written by Paul. It just has sort of like a Paul style to it. I love what Peter says about Paul's writing style. He says some of those things are really hard to understand. Actually, that's actually a verse in the scriptures that Peter writes. Peter has a unique style. John had a unique style. We have books like Hebrews where we're not totally sure who wrote that letter, but it has sort of a, some analysis that you can take to find out who maybe wrote this book. But, but across the board... It's agreed pretty much that John wrote this epistle. We see the common use of the words that John likes to use like beloved and brother and children. John uses simple language that captures profound truths. And we've been seeing that as we've been going through these letters. Yet as I think about John being the author of this epistle, I can't help but think also of its divine author. 
You see, there really is one author of Scripture, and that is God. And we see in Scripture that it was the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of the Bible. What the Holy Spirit didn't do is he didn't override people's personalities, but he worked through people's personalities in styles of writing to give us everything that we need to know about God and everything that we need to know about ourselves. I like to say that about the Bible. It's got everything you need. Everything you need to know about God and everything you need to know about yourself is in the word. And you see, the Bible has third John because God wanted it to be there. And there are some things in this letter that I, I, I believe after studying it together, you're going to see why God wanted it to be there. And so there's nothing in the Bible that, that shouldn't be there. And there's nothing outside of the Bible that, that, that should be there. What we have is what we have. It's what God wanted it to be. So we have 66 books of the Bible that are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and for our benefit. And so John was writing this letter. It's the last of the five books that he wrote. He wrote it near the end of his life. You know, John was probably somewhere in his 90s at the time that he wrote this letter. And he wanted to make sure that the next generation of the church was fully equipped to take on the mission of God. He wanted to make sure that the, the, the next pastors that were going to be leading the church were going to be equipped and spiritually healthy moving forward. And so we see there in verse 1 that this elder John, this man of the faith, um, this apostle of Jesus wrote the letter and he wrote it to a man, a man named Gaius. Now the thing about that name Gaius is that that was a common name in the ancient world. Um, not so much today, right? I don't know that I've ever met anyone named Gaius. But isn't it funny how names kind of have a comeback? So, you know, don't be surprised if in 2025, top 100 baby names, you see Gaius, right? Anyone thinking about naming their baby that next? No, okay, so. But this man Gaius, we see actually that name mentioned four different places in the Bible. And it seems that each time it's actually referring to four different people. And so although we don't know the specifics about this man Gaius, what we do know is that he was loved. Look at what it says. It says in verse 1 that he loved him. He, he calls him beloved Gaius. And then he says, whom I love in the truth. And so you could say John doubly loved his friend, right? Uh, but actually look at the next verse, verse 2. You could say John had a triple love for his friend because he says, again, beloved. And so would we be that kind of people, right? John had this love that just flowed out. We, we've seen that throughout his letters. He just loved people. He loved, loved, loved. And you know, that's actually the vision statement of the church that sent uh, me out to, to plant this church, Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. Their vision statement is very simple. It's Love, love, love. And isn't that really the mission of God? You know, the, the mission of Jesus could really be encapsulated in, in love. That if you have love, you have all things. Now, here at this church, we use the language of knowing to give vision and mission for this church. But even in that word knowing, we're not talking about, you know, a head knowledge, we're talking about a relational, experiential, loving kind of knowledge, like we just sang in that song. 
I want to know you, Lord, like I know a friend. That we would have this knowledge where we experience the love of God. You know, to know God is to love God. Love is to be the manifestation of our knowledge. As we're studying the word of God, we're not just trying to find out, okay, who wrote the letter, who's it to, and this and that. We are studying these things so that we can love God and know that he loves us. So look at the rest of verse two with me. It says, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. All right, so I I can't think of a more applicable verse to think about for just a little while. I'm gonna spend some time talking about verse two here because, man, January's been a month, isn't, <laughs> hasn't it? Like, I even feel like the congestion right now still. There has been some, some uh, sickness going around. You know, my whole family, we were sick. All of our pastors, we went down together. You know, many of you guys have been sick and, and uh, dealing with sickness. I know that there are people watching online today who are at home recovering from sickness. And, you know, a lot of our conversations lately have been about our health. You know, asking one another how we're doing, um, seeing how we're recovering. And, and I think that that's a good thing because, look, we're wired up. You know, it, it's, there's something innately within us that to be healthy is a good thing, isn't it? Uh, having good health is a good thing because it's a blessing from God. And when someone is not in good health, we tend to swell up with compassion and care for one another. And, and many give their life work to making sure that people are in good health. I know that many of you here, you, we have doctors and nurses and, and dentists and, and physical therapists, nutritionists, pharmacists. I mean, so much of what we do in our lives, even people's life's calling, has to do with, with physical well-being, people being healthy. And, and if you think about that, the fact of how much attention and focus we give to our health which is a good thing. But what it should show us is it should show us something about the human condition. It should show us that sickness is a reality and that sickness is a result of the fall of man, that these bodies of ours are wasting away. Somebody can say amen to that. (laughs) And no matter how healthy you might be, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of healthy people here. You've got the perfect diet. You've got the perfect workout plan. You're doing all the creams. Everything's looking good for you. Like life is good, perfect health. But you will not have perfect health forever. You know, you can do everything known to man to try to preserve your good health, but at the end of it all, there is going to be something, I don't know what it is, but there will be something that will come against your well-being, and that is gonna be the end of your physical life. One out of every one person dies. And you're gonna die because of that last sickness that you've had. And, And we don't know what that is, only God knows. But as we think about our lives, we need to think about what John is saying to Gaze. He said, I pray that all may go well with you. And that has the idea of that 
that we would prosper in all things. And, and John prays that in general, life would go smooth for us. That's, that's awesome. The Bible wants life to go smooth for you. We don't want there to be issues in our lives, especially in the basic areas of our food and our clothing, our housing, our work, our play, our relationships, all the things that we would say are, are the general things about life that are good. We want those things to go well. And so John prays, I pray that all goes well for you. And that's a good desire to have. That's a good prayer to pray. And then he says specifically to guess that he would have good health. He prayed that he would not be sick. You know, I don't know anywhere in the Bible where sickness is celebrated. We see in the Bible, though, that sickness is accepted because we do get sick, right? And, and we must accept the reality that sickness will come because we are not yet glorified. In this side of heaven, we will not experience what heaven will be, where there will be no sickness. Now, when people get sick, the Bible tells us that we should pray for them, that we should pray and lift up prayers for healing because at times what God does is God intervenes into our health and he brings about healing. And as we're talking about this, this is what we need to have. We need to have an honest and a real conversation about the human condition. And this is an area where we have to have biblical understanding and spiritual maturity when we're thinking about sickness and health. We have to understand that as human beings, we are in a fallen condition. We are in sin, and because of sin, there is sickness and there is death. But as human beings, we have the redemption of Jesus Christ that is offered to us, that by his stripes we can be healed. And because of Jesus, God will sometimes intervene into our sickness, and he will give us good health. Not always. But we have to come to the Bible and say that at times there is sickness that comes maybe as a result of God trying to get somebody's attention. He has purpose for everything. And then there's times where God brings healing just as an act of his kindness and of his mercy. But we have to hold these things in our hands. Both of them. You know, you have to have a theology for suffering and a theology for healing. You have to accept that in this world, we experience both sickness and health. And we want good health, and we should pray that we have good health. But look, we may not always have it. Pray for it. John prayed for his friend to have good health. I pray for anyone in here who is sick that you may be well. I pray for anyone watching online that you would recover from whatever is keeping you home as you're watching online today. You know, we, we have to go and read James chapter 5, verse 14, that tells us that we're to pray for those who are sick. But again, as I said, there will be that last sickness that's going to be the end for you. God knows what it will be. We trust him with our lives that he'll know when we will go. But until that happens, what are we to do? We are to be good stewards of the life and of the health that God has given to us, not fearing death, not fearing what may bring about that final end. 
listen to me, if you know Jesus, if you know him and are known by him, if you have that loving relationship with Jesus, then, then the moment that you step into eternity, you will prosper and be in good health. You know this prayer that John prayed, that you may prosper and be in good health. We pray it happens for us in this life, but it is guaranteed you will receive the yes to that prayer in heaven. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. The tears of our pain will be wiped away and we will be in the presence of God forever in glorified bodies that will never waste away. And so notice that John prayed for Gaius to have good health, that he would prosper on all things, and then it says that it would go well with him as it goes well with your soul. I love that John added, as it goes well with your soul, because look, the most important thing is not your physical health, but how is your soul? See, you can have health and wealth, but if it is not well with your soul, you have nothing and you can be sick, and you can be poor, but if it is well with your soul, you have everything. And I hope and I pray that if you're here today, that you would know that you have a soul. You know, I, I pray that we would be as aware of our souls and the condition of our souls as we are aware of the sickness around us and the condition of our world today. I pray that we would have an awareness because look, this pandemic that we're in, it will pass, but your soul is eternal. So how are you weighing the focus? To what degree do you give your attention? Because sickness is not eternal. Again, this pandemic will pass, but our souls are eternal. Prosperity, it is not eternal, but your soul is eternal. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, have you? Right? You know, there's something really interesting that, that I've experienced, that when somebody that I know has died, and, and one of the most interesting thing is to open up a closet and to see that their clothes still hang up in the closet when they are gone. You know, the, these things that maybe you've seen, maybe a, a parent or a friend or, or, or family member where you've seen, yeah, that, that one jacket they love to wear, like that doesn't go with them. The clothes still hang in the closet when you die. So to what focus and what attention are we giving our lives to? Jesus said in Mark eight thirty six, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So this is the prayer that is prayed over us today, that all would go well for us and that we would have good health as it goes well with our souls. But again, the thing that I think we ought to care most about is that it's going well with our souls, right? So look with me now at verses three through four. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, remember that John was a spiritual father to these people, a pastor to these people, and his heart is just overflowing with love for them. And, and 
when he would get these reports back from these churches about how they were doing, it would cause rejoicing within John in his heart. He would just hear of the great things that were going on. And, and, and you know, he would say, again, as in verse 2, as it goes well with your soul, he'd find out, hey, guess what? Their souls are doing well. This church is thriving. They are loving Jesus, and it's going well with their souls. And John said, there's no greater joy that can be found within my heart than to know that the children of God are walking in the truth. And so some of these brothers who had visited the various churches would come back to John and report what they had seen, and they had given a report of what they saw in this man Gaius. And it says here that they testified about his character, about his conduct, that Gaius was a man who walked in the truth. And this just excited John as a spiritual father to know his child was walking in the truth. And, you know, Paul talks about in his writings in Corinthians that one of the sufferings, in fact, one of the the things that really weighed on Paul was his constant concern for the churches. And this is true. You know, nothing brings greater joy to a spiritual leader than to know that people are walking in the truth of of God and not being deceived by, by sin and lies. And nothing brings greater sorrow than to know that there are people who are who are no longer walking as they used to, who are no longer standing in the truth but are being deceived. But de- but uh, Gaius was this guy where he was walking with Jesus. And, and this made John stoked. You know, for me as a pastor, as an elder, for, for all of our elders, I could speak for all of us, there's no greater joy than to know when the people of Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes are walking in the truth. Like that just stokes us out. You wanna, you wanna stoke out your pastors? Walk in the truth. It brings great joy. And, And look, it brings great joy to you too when you walk in the truth. So Gaius was this man who walked with Jesus and and we see about him looking more in verses five through eight. Look at what it says. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so these people, right, they would come back from John. These were, there were these itinerant traveling ministers who would go to the various churches throughout the regions. They'd find out how things were going. They would bring letters from the apostles that would be read publicly and aloud. And this is how the church was instructed. And here's a few things that we see in verses five through eight. We see that John commended Gaius for the hospitality that he showed to these traveling people. Because hospitality is actually a virtue that is to be found among Jesus' people. Uh, Hospitality, we even see in the book of Hebrews, that really interesting verse that if you show hospitality, you may unknowingly be entertaining angels. Like that's a really interesting thing but there really is the idea that even to strangers people that you don't even know you have no connection no relationship with you should show kindness generosity hospitality to people that you don't even know 
to strangers, and this is something that Gaius did. He took care of these brothers as they came through. He received them, he took care of them, and it was a beautiful thing. And you know, not only has there been a lot of sickness in, in January as a church here, but there's been a lot of hospitality, a lot of generosity, a lot of kindness that has been shown by this church. I mean, just for, for, for me, just, I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. I mean, the rights brought me groceries the first day that I was sick. You know, um, uh, Melanie LaCroix, she got us a week worth of DoorDash. Um, we had multiple, you know who you are, you know who reached out and said, can I bring you anything? Can, even when we said, no, we, we're good, we have, we have enough soup. Uh, you were ready, you were willing to offer to care for people. And, and I know that that wasn't only shown to me, but to many others. And, and, and we've, as a church, wanted to show that kind of love. And I say this because look at verse six. The, even the reason I mention people by name, it says, they testified to your love before the church. You know, these people ought to be recognized. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And so Gaius was a man who, as he was reported about, people like, this man was awesome. He just, he was so caring. He was so hospitable. He just did such wonderful things for us. I, I think about how there are students up at winter camp right now, and there were just people who, who came to me and said, you know, I, I don't have any kids that are in junior high or high school age, but I would love to pay uh, for a spot so that anyone who wants to go to camp can go. That is the kind of stuff that John is talking about here. That's the kind of stuff that the body of Christ, that together we are taking care of each other, supporting each other spiritually and materially, and Gaius was a man who did that. And verse seven says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Here's the key of what we see is that these guys that went out, they were doing the work of Jesus that, that God had commanded them to do and had called them to do, and they were going out in the name of Jesus. They were taking the gospel to people, and notice they didn't accept anything from the Gentiles. That means that their income, you know, their food, their housing, all the things, it didn't come from the world of non-believers. It came from the church. The support of the gospel must come from the church. That's where it comes from. And, And you know, this church here, we operate off of your giving. You know, everything we do, from the salaries to our staff, are paid for by your generous gifts. Uh, the lease and the bills for electric and water and trash and lights and all the things, uh, they're paid for by your offerings. This church is together partnering in the gospel. Every single person who brings what they have before the Lord and presenting it to his work and to his kingdom. And as elders, as pastors, we, we, we simply steward the resources that come in. But anything that comes in is to go back out. And it goes back out for the sake of the gospel. And, and for the sake of caring for the deeds of the church body first. The offerings care for the church first, and then as the church is cared for, the gospel goes out, and more people become Jesus' people. And so as gifts come in, money goes out, and the gospel spreads as people are taken care of. 
Look, you don't need money at all to be a witness of Jesus. You don't need a budget to give the gospel. But what we see scripturally is that the resources that are brought in by the family of God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has purpose and it has reward. And God honors it. We see it just greatly honored here in 3 John. Now, we're gonna see briefly two other people that were mentioned. We see this guy Diotrephes first in verses nine through 10. It says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put them, uh, stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So again, John being the elder that he was and the apostle of Jesus Christ that he was, he was sending letters. And these letters had authority. The authority of the apostles was in the things that they said because Jesus had called them and commissioned them with the message of Christ. They were given the responsibility of laying the foundation of doctrine for the early church And John had written something to the church, and that letter was to go and to be distributed amongst the various local churches. And he would send men, these men that Gaius so happily uh, hosted, and they'd go out in the name of Jesus, those traveling ministers, and they'd take these letters to the various churches and the leaders, and they'd be read publicly. But there was this one church who had this apparent leader there whose name was Diotrephes, and when the guys would come and say, we have this letter from the Apostle John, he said, "Mm mm-mm. This is my church, we don't need you here. And so they'd leave, and, and they'd try, and they'd try to come in, and any other person within the church body who tried to bring somebody in from the outside who had something from one of the apostles that would be shared, Diotrephes would put these people out of the church, and notice what it says about Diotrephes. It says that he likes to put himself first. That's a zinger, isn't it? He likes to put himself first. This means that Diotrephes, this supposed leader of this church, that he loved first place. Literally, he loved to have the preeminence. If you've read the book of Colossians, who does the preeminence belong to? To Jesus. Now, it's one thing to be a leader, and we need leaders. The Bible talks about how there's to be leadership in the church for oversight and for teaching uh, God's people the word. There needs to be spiritual leadership and it's, it's a good thing to desire to, to, to lead. But there could be a very unhealthy ambition for leadership where you have this selfish desire to be seen and recognized as being over people. And, and anyone who has a leadership role whether it's in the church or even just publicly, knows the temptation that it is that we need to be very careful for because we need to make sure that we don't love being first place, where we're lording over people, where we are abusing the power that simply comes from God and is to be given back to God. Now, what... Diotrephes seemed to be doing was he was pushing away anyone who he felt might take the spotlight off of him. Um, And we need to be careful about it. If anything, I'm preaching to myself right now. 
right? Because leaders in the church, we have to be humble servants where we elevate others to the glory of Jesus. And there's no doubt to me that one of the reasons that I believe God has so richly blessed this church is because of the kinds of leaders that you have. And I'm, I'm not speaking about myself when I say that. Um, speak about your other elders, your other pastors here, Pastor Rob and Ben and Ben Kai. I, I don't know if you realize it, but before Calvary Chapel Palace where you started, there was a church here uh, that these men oversaw called Life on the Hill Church. And many of you were part of that church. And, and their humility to go where God would go. They saw where Jesus was moving. Their vision was to see where Jesus is moving and to get as close behind him as we possibly can. And, and when I moved here and when I met them and I was talking about planting a church, they, they saw how God was moving and God did a unique work of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit was just poured out upon us and our hearts were knit and united together in mission and love. And, and yet all the while, just the the humble, sacrificial, and selfless kind of leadership that we have in the men of this church, um, it's taught me a lot. And you know, as the lead pastor, you know, we, we talk about how I am a first among equals. However, what we are very careful to do, and what I'm very careful to do in my own heart, is that I don't want to just love being first. I don't want the preeminence. Our heart as your elders is to get your eyes on Jesus because only he can really handle it. Only he can handle first place. I can't handle first place. None of your pastors can handle first place. You can't handle first place. We are all under shepherds of our true senior pastor who is Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of our souls. Amen? So we've got to get our eyes off of Jesus because uh, our eyes on Jesus Don't take that cut of the tape. <laughs> so Diotrephes, he loved being first. And not only that, he would spread lies about other leaders. You know, when you see a leader criticizing another leader, it's because they simply want to feel superior. But really what it is, it's, it's a deep-seated insecurity. You, you want to knock down anyone who threatens your power. Diotrephes wanted to control authority because he was power hungry. And listen, over the last decade in, in American churches, we have seen more high-profile pastors fall for this reason more than any other reason. And this should say something to the church about the kind of unhealth that is often found within the leadership cultures of our churches. Church, I, I love being a leader to you. But I don't want the preeminence. That belongs to Jesus. I simply want you to follow me as I follow Christ, but, but it's all going to Jesus. <laughs> Amen? We're all going to Jesus. So I say this soberly. Again, I, I feel like I'm preaching to myself more than anybody. But here are the charges of Diotrephes. He loved authority. He diminished other people's authority. And if that wasn't enough, he would put people out of the church who didn't agree with him. And, and he would forbid anyone else from coming in because that would threaten his own authority. So what's John gonna do about it? Verse 10 says, if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. 
And, and that idea of if I come is actually really the idea when I come. John's like, dude, I'm 90, but I'm gonna show up there. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna expose this guy for what he is doing. And John would come to that church and he would give a loving rebuke. He would write about his letter, but man, when he got there face to face, he would let him know to set an example that this is not how you lead the church, Diotrephes. Because love is not tolerating in silence. Love is speaking up with truth. And John was a man who loved, loved, loved. But John spoke truth and Diotrephes wouldn't be able to continue talking his wicked nonsense. In verse 12, we see one more guy mentioned, Demetrius, as we wrap it up. We're gonna skip verse 11 and come back to it in just a moment. Verse 12, we read, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. And so this man, Demetrius, he was a brother just like Gaius, who had a good testimony among the people, Don't you want a good testimony among others? Don't you want to be recognized as somebody who walks in the truth and does what is good, lives by the word of God? Because when you do that, you will be recognized as standing with Jesus. And so verse 11, going back, it says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So as we end... We've heard about Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. Baby names of 2025. Two men were commended, and one was corrected. You have to ask yourself today. These are examples for me to follow, and I want to follow what is good. But if, if my life were to be written about Would I be a good example of one who does good and one who follows God and walks in the truth? But if somebody were to write of my life, what might be said? Would it be spoken of as needing correction because of the evil and the corruptness that is walked in? So Gaius and Demetrius are good examples for us to follow, to love the truth and to walk in it, to be hospitable and to be generous, to esteem others' needs as greater than our own. These are spiritual leaders who were worthy of honor and respect, and yet they were just simply humble servants pointing people to Jesus. Diotrephes, on the other hand, was proud and a lover of self. He just wanted to be first. We don't know if he ended up repenting of his ways, but if he were to remain in that place, he wouldn't see God. Because it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, it's, it's, it's an examination of our actions. Are you doing good or are you doing evil? But it's gotta go beyond your actions. It's gotta go from your actions to your heart. Where's your heart? Is your heart pure? Is your heart evil? Because from your heart will flow your actions. So an examination of our heart can be done today by the word of God. It's, ar- it's already been doing the work, by the way. Um, if it's been reading your mail and you know what's going on in your own heart, then... Turn to Jesus, turn to him. Verse 13 through 15, I have had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends, every one of you. There you have it. 
this letter from John that's short and sweet and direct. He ends by saying that face-to-face is better. Rob uh, taught 2 John, which ends the same exact way. (laughs) That great understanding that face-to-face communication is always going to be better than text and email and all the other things, especially if you're dealing with conflict. (laughs) You know, there was some conflict in here, and so he kept it short because it's better to deal with conflict in person. And John said, when I come, I will, I will deal with that. But if I, can, um, if I can tie in how John ends the letter with how he begins the letter, where he talks about health in the beginning and he talks about being face-to-face at the end. You know, I know that we've had a slow trickle back into church over this last month because of, of people getting sick. And I'm so glad to hear that many people are doing well and Let's continue to pray for health. Let's continue to pray for God's people to gather in because nothing will replace what we're doing right here where we're face to face with one another, where we're we're sitting under the teaching of God's word as the body of Christ. And what happens here, it's, it's not a social club. It's not a sermon appreciation society. It's the church. It's relationship. It's a family. And if you're watching online and if you're sick today, we love you. We're praying for you that you would have good health, that it would be well in all things with your health and especially with your soul. And if we're together today, we've heard about the condition of our souls that needs to be well with us. And only Jesus can make it well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you want to know us like a friend. We want to know you in that way, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you said in John, the gospel of John, that no longer call us servants, but you call us friends. And no greater love has ever been seen than for a friend to lay down their life for a friend. And that is what you did, Jesus. You died upon a cross for our sins to purify our hearts that we might be made whole, that we would be redeemed and healed, not only physically, but most of all in our souls, that it would be well with our souls. So Jesus, we're praying today that it would be well with all, Lord, that we would have good health, that we would prosper in all things, but most of all, Lord, that it would be well with our souls. Thank you for speaking to us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's all stand up together. And um, if you're here this morning and uh, something within this message just triggered a place in your heart that you need prayer for, maybe it's for physical health. Maybe you've been dealing with some chronic sickness for some time and you need prayer. Uh, Maybe it's for just the general well-being of your life. Things haven't been going smooth for you. Things have been rough and hard and tumultuous and you, you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with. That's what we're here for. Um, and then after this, we're just gonna greet one another as friends. We're gonna fellowship. We're gonna love one another because that's what the church does. Amen. Let's worship together.